0: Hello,
1: and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 178, Bran in a Clash of Kings, Chapter 7. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And
2: I am another one of your hosts, Eliana.
1: Can't believe we did it. We have finished Bran 7 in a Clash of Kings today. This is it. Yeah. This is is it for Clash. We go on to Storm next year, (laughs) next week. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm so funny. No, no,
2: no. It is next year. because Week today, after next. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Today is Christmas Day, sir. Oh.
2: <laughs> well, just right before. So go enjoy the rest of your year. Take a break from, from us. We do have stuff, though. Like, if you want to check it out, there's other things coming from us. But we'll see you in Storm next year. Storming into the new year.
1: Oh my god, a storm of swords into the new year. And if you are looking for something to listen to on your great journeys after you finish this podcast, you should check out our Patreon. Over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, we do a bonus episode every month for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above. That's five bucks and above. This month, we are discussing the Ice Dragon. So to keep your wintry mix going... That'll be up for you by the end of 2022 over at Patreon, and it is a novella by George. I'm very excited. It's actually in Dream Songs Part 1. If you have Dream Songs, I'm liking it so far. I'm only about halfway through. I don't know if you've picked it up yet, but we're going to be chatting the Ice Dragon. There's a lot of fun themes that actually kind of cross over into this chapter.
2: Yeah, a lot of the language and stuff seems pretty similar. You know, you can see how George likes to chew on certain concepts over time and readapt them to different things. I've started, I'm not as far in as you are, but yes, we are going to cover it. Very excited. And some other things that we have coming along are, you know, not just these bonus episodes, which are, again, available for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, but let's say you're a Thunder Tier and above patron, right? You get access to our Discord, where there's always hijinks. (laughs) Always hijinks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you just missed out on our brunch slash happy hour that we hold every month, Every single month we gather, and it is a fun time. Sometimes we just, like, bullshit. Sometimes we talk about the state of the world for, like, two hours. But I'm sure uh, we've been pre-recording a couple episodes lately, so I'm sure that this brunch was every bit as amazing as I expect it to be with my new, my new Jackbox game right, I want right
2: to play. You game.
1: God damn it, we're playing games. You know, my mom, this is a good Christmas anecdote for you all, my mom every year used to hold Christmas Eve and christmas eve she wanted it to be fun and she would do her own reindeer games right so like she'll always buy little lottery tickets and do like a game to raffle them off and always coming up with silly games like uh stuff with cups to move like you know money around or lottery hmm. tickets little like you have to win the lottery tickets right and every year no one likes them
0: uh, oh i have oh, to play so them
1: sad. it's really sad i <laughs> it's not that they don't like them i think maybe they're just i don't know they're very set in their ways and she just wants to do something fun and engage the family and i do like them but i must be just like getting that from her because every year people like we don't want to play the reindeer games and i'm like i'll play no one said that have they no i hope not they better not all of our (laughs) friends at discord better be ready to play the new reindeer game
2: (laughs) oh yeah i was like wait i don't remember hearing that
1: no, but at Christmas at my house, everyone is like, we just want to watch the game or whatever's on or mm, whatever we're doing. Mm. We don't want to play your reindeer games, mom. And I'm like, oh, I'll play them. Is
2: it a football game?
1: No, I mean, there's just lots of games she makes up. She They're very arts and craftsy, right? So there'll be mm-hmm. like, like I sent her a new version of one where you put the lottery ticket on like a cup or on a plate and you actually have attached to the plate like string And so the way it's laying, you have to pull a string to choose a plate, but you don't know what plate you're choosing, and that plate will have what you win on it. So there's, like, little, like, mini athletics. Like, she did, like, she made a big, huge candy cane that you have to hang ornaments on, and, like, a huge candy cane, like, very large and wide. And if you lose, if, like, you unbalance, it's like laying on something, and if it comes unbalanced and all the ornaments fall, then you lose, but whoever gets the most ornaments on... Gets the prize, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, Little reindeer games, yeah. It's
2: kind of like, but not exactly, but it's kind of like uh, the, the drinking game Kings, you know? You try to put as many cards oh as you can under the tab, but then when you lose and you pop the tab, you have to drink the whole thing.
1: It's basically that. It's basically a drinking game without the drinking, except we are also drinking. Yeah, the but not in conjunction us. with the
2: game. Yeah,
1: yeah. the game doesn't involve the drinking, but it's basically, imagine drinking games, but with, like, holiday arts and crafts. That's what my mom does. All right,
2: all right. But instead with
1: lotto tickets. Mom shit. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes cash, sometimes cash. Mom's out there. Mom's out there. I hope next month we will have some fun, too, and maybe it'll be more relaxed. Maybe there will be no reindeer games next month, but stay tuned to find out when next month's brunch will be.
2: Indeed. So something else that we're also doing, right, is we are covering... His Dark Materials, the television adaptation. We finished reading the main novels, the the three original trilogy, earlier this year, earlier in 2022. That's something that we can look back upon this year. But the, the final episode will basically be airing Monday, right?
1: Yeah. Oh my god, Monday for us here in the US. That's nuts. Yeah. I know our BBC UK friends definitely already have it. They are already hot to trot, I'm sure. They have hopefully been binging it all since it all dropped on the 18th, but uh, I- I've had a really good time so far this season. I think they've done a beautiful job. I look forward to, well, I wouldn't say I look forward to, it's pretty devastating. I look <laughs> to the end of the series to see how they do it. I'm sure they will do a great job, though.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I look forward to it, you know, I want to see how they how they adapt it, and I I think I just like things that emotionally devastate me. I've been rewatching <laughs> the Evangelion rebuild movies because I'm, as of recording this, I'm going to get to finally watch the fourth one, but I'm doing yes. it in theaters because. Good I don't for know. you. Yeah, for some reason, like even though it came out last year and I waited like 12 years for it, I didn't watch it. Or not 12 years. I don't remember. Like actually 10 years, right? 10 years for it or something like that. I didn't watch it, but I, I tried to convince some friends, I'm like, do you guys want to watch the movie with me? And they're like, no, we haven't like watched it. We don't feel like being depressed. We don't feel like em- doing this like emotionally taxing thing for several hours just to watch the whole series. I was like, No, okay. Eliana, only you like to be depressed, <laughs> is what they said. I was, like, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I feel that. I get that. And I was like, do I get that? Me doing my <laughs> Song of Ice and Fire podcast, do I understand that feeling? I don't know. Uh...
1: We just don't know. Yeah, lots of sad themes hitting up this winter. Wow. Yeah. HDM,
2: that. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, check out our Historic Materials coverage. And then, not just that, something else we're doing as we kick off the new year is our friends on the Discord are going to be hosting a rewatch.
1: Yeah, they'll be rewatching and discussing weekly. We'll definitely put out the word once we know when that's going to happen. So, you're all invited. Come on through at Patreon. Well, we haven't had any emails or tweets of notes in just a little bit, right? No emails and tweets of note in a bit, but we have been saving a super special one for today, for the end of Bran in a Clash of Kings from our friends, Warren and Pete, who are always in those HDM discussions Eliana just mentioned. And actually, Warren came on to hang out with us for uh, His Dark Materials. So with that in mind, warren and pete sent us something special that we are going to share with you today which is yates the stolen child a reading of it it's an 1886 poem by william butler yates where a fairy lures a child from the only world he's ever known out into their wild so a little bit of that secret commonwealth kind of feel coming through here of fairies and of all of these creatures and really coincides well in my opinion as well with Bran, right, as he leaves Winterfell to go find the Three-Eyed Crow, and I also have to say I'm very excited because Pete edited this together, and he did such an expert job, so great work Pete and great work Warren for recording this up, and I can't believe we finally got to Bran leaving Winterfell. Excited to check out some of these strong Celtic influences in his arc that Warren is bringing up through this poem. Enjoy. Enjoy.
0: Where dips the rocky highland of Slootwood in the lake, There lies a leafy island where flapping herons wake the drowsy water-rats. There we've hid our fairy vats, full of berries, and of reddest stolen cherries. Come away, human child, the waters in the wild, and the fairy hand in hand, The world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wave of moonlight glosses, the dim grey sands with light, Far off by furthest rosses, we foot footed all by night Weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances, till the moon has taken flight. To and fro we leap, and chase the frothy bubbles, while this world is full of troubles, and anxious in its sleep. Come away, O human child, to the waters in the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wandering water gushes, from the hills above Glencar, in pools among the rushes that scarce could bay the star. We seek for slumbering trout and whispering in the ears, give them unquiet dreams, leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams. Come away, O oh human child, to the waters in the wild, with a fairy hand in hand. The world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Away with us he's going, the solemn He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves On the warm hillside Or the kettle on the hob Sing peace into his breast Or see the brown mice bob Round and round the oatmeal chest For he comes, a human child, to the waters In the wild, with a fairy hand in hand For a world more full of weeping than he can understand
1: wow chilling i am chilled right now i am absolutely chilled do you is your is your hair i was gonna say your fur but hanging out like that too much
2: what am i is your fur standing up on
1: end <laughs> a beastling yeah you are
2: oh it is it is i was that was just so good thank you pete and warren that was amazing and i don't know like i feel like if you like that poem also again check out historic materials because it's something that's like a huge influence there, and that inspired, I think, to an extent, Pete and Warren reading this poem. So,
1: even that line away with us, he's going, the solemn eyed. He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the warm hillside. Very, you know, they're leaving home. This is it. We're leaving home. We're leaving Winterfell. Uh, innocence is absolutely destroyed. Everything sucks. Yep. It's a perfect poem.
2: Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit more about. Being a stolen child, right? Uh, but by jumping into our lightning round. This is a long one.
1: It is a long one. While Winterfell is burning, King's Landing does as well, right? We have a lot of chapters in between that last Bran chapter where he's now kind of assumed dead after Theon's chapters. We're going to skip anyone who's not a Stark in the south, just to keep things a little concise, and we'll start that off with Arya 9. When Northmen are brought to Harrenhal as prisoners, Arya thinks of freeing them and rising up. Her friends won't help, but Jacques and Higar will. Arya takes a new name, Nan.
2: Daenerys for Daenerys trips balls on Shade of the Evening. You might be like, oh, I thought you were skipping these. We kept Daenerys because obviously, as we've been discussing, so many, so many parallels between her story and Bran's.
1: Yeah, I said south, not east, so.
2: That's true. Just saying. It's southeast, I guess. Or is it? It is a little southeast, probably. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What is it in the north? Yeah. Theon 4. Theon organizes a hunt to find his escaped prisoners and grows desperate, taking Reek's advice, burn other kids.
2: (laughs) Burn more kids, okay. John (laughs) 6. If you would take a man's life, you owe it to him to look into his eyes and hear his final words. And If you cannot bear to do that, then perhaps the man does not deserve to die. Sansa 4. Sansa bleeds. Mood. John seven Squire Dalbridge's sacrifice lets John and Corrin live another chapter. Ghost is wounded by a skin changer.
1: Catelyn seven. Vows are sworn at Sword Point outside River Run.
2: Are those valid? Bring in lawyer hmm. Maestr Lewin, but not for long. Theon five. Asha pleads for Theon to see reason. Theon gives Reek command of the hunt.
1: Shot chaser, shot Whoops. chaser. Reason indeed. Sansa, five, six, and seven. Hold on, let me stretch for this one. Sansa tries to boost morale in the Sept as the siege deepens. They part to the Holdfast where the Queen gets drunker, calling Joffrey back from battle. Lancel brings a little chaos to the Holdfast and Sansa escapes to her tower where a beast awaits her. (laughs) Beauty and the
2: Beast. Daenerys, five. Daenerys learns the true desire of Karth. Her dragons! Duh.
1: <laughs> Arya 10. Arya and co. flee Harrenhal.
2: Sansa 7. Sansa's escape plan is finally set in motion.
1: Theon 6. Theon refuses to yield Winterfell, and the Northmen begin to transform in front of his eyes.
2: Jon 8. In the scrolling past, Jon must kill Corin to advance the cause. And
1: in Bran 7, in A Clash of Kings, Bran and his cohorts escape the crypts to find Winterfell has burnt to a crisp, but it's only broken, not dead. We open the chapter with ashes falling like a soft gray snow and summer pads around, seeing great piles of man rock in the swirling flames, the smell of blood and burnt meat, fire and blood we should say, blowing strong men, horses, and fire.
2: Uh, I love that opening scene of the ashes being described as like snow and it really speaks to that idea that Jojin brings up next book of how if ice can burn, then love and hate can mate, right? That the two are are actually the same, that they can be like the other. And I also want to bring up a story of how this one time a volcano blew in the Philippines and this was this was many, many years ago, I think probably like before I was born. Or I was a baby, and apparently, some of my family members were like, Whoa, oh my god, I'm so confused. How is it snowing here in the Philippines? It's snowing, and it turns out it was not so, it was ash from the volcano.
1: <laughs> wow, that's but it. you know, it's uh, it, it reminds me of the show in that you know, you had that great moment of Danny seeing the throne right in Karth, yeah. and then in the actual show, when you show up, you know, the ash versus the snow of what's falling yeah. is it destruction or is it? Snow. And I think this chapter especially has such a great, I mean, the imagery, right? We're going to get into the imagery this entire time of just so much possible foreshadowing for what we might see in the long night. And who knows here? You know, it's not snow. It's ash. It's worse, right? Yeah. What's worse than the longest winter? Oh, everything's burnt down to a crisp.
2: Yeah. So now that I think about it, it could also be about John.
1: Mm, snow Ned.
2: Yeah, Snow Ned and that like being John Snow and then Actually, being fire or something—I don't
1: know. Oh yeah, Jon Targaryen versus
2: Stark. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on with this, this little opener.
1: Yeah, honestly, I kind of wanted to read it against the uh, House of the Undying, just because I feel like there's a lot of that metaphorical imagery going on. Sure, Danny's tripping balls, as we said, but like, there's a lot of that imagery, especially here, right? Because the ash clouds his eyes, and in the sky he sees a great-winged snake whose roar was a river of flame. He bears his teeth, but the snake is gone and the night fires remain, it says. Which, amazing, incredible imagery. And it's kind of a widely debated topic, I guess, Mm -hmm. in the fandom. Which is funny because I've literally never thought about it that deeply. And I was kind of discussing it with that guy I live with, my roommate, husband roommate. And he was like, oh yeah, everybody always talks about that. You know, like, is it a dragon? Is it imagery? And I'm not sure how I feel. Like, it could... Honestly, it makes me wonder if Brandon Summer are seeing through the flames and seeing a vision, right? Because they're uh. looking through the flames. Because it's like all the same pool of magic, right? He can see things. He can see through things. And that's part of what he's learning. Like later, Bloodraven says to him, you know, seeing from the tree and being connected through the tree is one thing, but you'll be able to see from everywhere someday. You won't need that aid to see things. So it would make sense to me that he was also being able to see through the flames, not unlike Mel. And it's like Davos seeing the gargoyles in the fire recently, right? Similar. Maybe he's seeing what could be or what is at Winterfell at the same time, especially with that double vision later.
2: I think what you said is, like, the best explanation that I've heard for that that isn't just... Because when I first would read these, right, and I, I do remember those discussions and this being a widely debated topic, it come it used to come up a lot on the subreddit, and people saying, you know, that it is a dragon, or some people even saying that it's, like, about an ice dragon, and I'm like, well, it's clearly making fire, right? Or, or how there's theories that there is a dragon below Winterfell, and that's what is uh, heating up the hot springs, and I'm like, I don't see that making any sense within the context of the story that we have and those themes
1: it's also so unfair because george is so funny about it because he keeps being like oh yeah and then who knows maybe they were exit winter fell in fire and blood we just don't know george 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 George. (laughs) stop it you stop (laughs) this madness
2: now in the name of your queens and so like i think what you're saying makes the most sense to me other than it being like the the wolves not having the language to describe a plume of smoke because it does seem kind of kind of suspicious like i feel like they would just say it's smoke yeah so i yeah. do feel a little differently about that than i used to and i think what you said like i said makes the most sense it could be
1: both yeah i think that double vision later also sells it for me mm. that like he's seeing outside and he's seeing his companions at the same time so like here brand seeing through summer is a already looking through other eyes so yeah. what he sees would be already kind of subjective to him I don't know it also to me it reads so much like what we'll see in the future above Winterfell and I
2: agree
1: read the ice dragon you guys because this imagery right here it feels so much out of the ice dragon to me it's nuts it's just nuts it was like it was a very good choice what we did there Eliana good job pat yourself on the back real quick because we just it was a good choice (laughs) to read that novella because it really just is fun to read and then to read a and like no they're not connected but they are in the way that George wrote them and this is his style and these yeah. are the things that he likes to put into his storytelling.
2: And it felt festive. Yeah. For the season. An ice dragon for, for the season. For th- yeah.
1: But the ice dragons are kind of described like this in that story, in that, like, they, you know, everywhere their flame touches, it desolates. So, I don't know, the great winged snake whose roar was a river of flame in the sky, to me, just feels significant.
2: It does. Who knows what it'll mean. We'll find out maybe one day. Oh my god, 500 more pages. <laughs> <laughs> no beast was as noisy as man. What do we true. know that. <laughs> Summer pricks his ears up, listening to the howls and screams from dogs, horses, and men, and he and Shaggy prowl along under the trees, watching the flames dwindle. When the sun rises, it's gray and smoky. We have this line here.
1: Many and more were burned, and many and more were collapsed. Others stood as they had before, yet nowhere did they see or scent a living man. I like kind of this ambiguity right here. The nowhere did they see or scent a living man. Obviously they go and they find Lewin. but this shows, A, the destruction that's happened here. But also since we're still seeing through Summer's eyes, it reminds me of earlier when we were in the wood where the entrails looked blue, right? Mm. Instead of looking red or looking like normal, they looked blue as the wolves tore them out. Just similar, similar language and similar playing with others stood as they had before. Really gives you the idea of what would happen if all of these dead men just click rose
2: yeah (laughs) i don't know if these ones will or not because i still like am on the fence about that scene in the show when they Mm -hmm. like had i don't know the skeletons popping out of the ground and i'm like i don't know if that's like how it works with the whites in the books but Mm -hmm. in general as you said right like it's the idea of what will happen and what it'll be like when winter comes
1: oh like in the children in 410 also yeah, like with the, the whites no, the, when they exactly, get to blood that, raven that yeah. scene
2: yes literally that yeah. scene and then i was like i love that you like you like the the i love those little spooky
1: skeletons they're just I popping just, out pop, pop pop
2: pop. i just don't know if that's how it works right like in no the i don't think
1: it's how it works or wait do you think it's gonna be a super sexy blue guy with like weird horny head thing and he's gonna like do the shimmy and be like wink and all they stand up i mean i think that could happen in the books it's Euron. i'm just kidding
2: I just think that, like, there's some aspect of it that still requires enough of the body to be intact in terms of, like, the connective tissue and the muscles. Like, that's kind Mm -hmm. of what they're controlling and not just holding together skeleton creatures, right? Which is also kind of what they did in uh, the long night of the show, right, where they Mm -hmm. pop out of the crypt as well. And it's, they're too disintegrated to do that. I feel like they're too far south
1: too without the wall coming down for that to happen yet. Like if the wall came down and that spell was broken, maybe. But I feel like that spell keeping the wall intact is keeping Winterfell safe from this. However, like, it's interesting because it really is that whole entire refugee metaphor, right? You have the free folk who are like, we are fleeing from this zombie that you've stuck us with on the other side, but now we're starting to get some of these zombies trickling through into the white-gated fucking community of Winterfell. It's a problem.
2: Yeah. No, I I agree, like, all that needs to fall. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. these guys will probably be too rotted to be the ones who are- brought back up, but as you said, it's like giving us a glimpse. A lot, So much of this chapter is giving us a glimpse of what the yeah. Long Night's gonna be like. This could um, absolutely, you know, interestingly enough... I just wanted enough, to put my feelings out there about how the show did their zombies and that I think it's different.
1: <laughs> interestingly enough, I mean, this chapter, if you cut out the the significant Clash of Kings bits of it, it could just be a chapter from Wow. I mean, I think Probably, The Wind's Winner yeah. is gonna have a lot of Clash of Kings-esque chapters in oh, it because it's gonna be building towards... Well, because we just had a Dance with Dragons, which was all these peak of plots, right? Shit happening, shit popping off. You got Danny flying in the sky, you got John dead. I think the beginning of The Winds of Winter is going to be... There will be a couple battles, right? Like, we have Stannis, obviously, on the march, but I think there's going to be a lot of rebuilding up that peak, that hype.
2: Yeah. A lot of those battles that got moved from the end of last book into... mm mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Top of the story.
2: Yeah. And we'll get, at, like you said, a lot of this destruction. yes crows blanket the bodies and they find a horse in the throes of death shaggy circles the horse and then tears its heart out you know just just taking care of it and summer tries to get a bite but shaggy fights him off instead fighting until both of them feed off of the horse it's a big horse both of you can eat i'm
1: glad they figured that out it's like my cats they like to eat from like the same bowl and i'm like you have four different bowls of food in this entire house why why are you just eating from the same bowl Go to the other side of the room. Come on. Uh. The dark place was pulling at him by then. The house of whispers where all men were blind. He could feel its cold fingers on him. The stony smell of it was a whisper up the nose. He struggled against the pull. He did not like the darkness. He was wolf. He was hunter and stalker and slayer, and he belonged with his brothers and sisters in the deep woods, running free beneath a starry sky. He sat on his haunches raised his head and howled. I will not go, he cried. I am wolf. I will not go. Yet even so, the darkness thickened until it covered his eyes and filled his nose and stopped his ears so he could not see or smell or hear or run. And the gray cliffs were gone and the dead horse was gone and his brother was gone and all was black and still and black and cold and black and dead and black. Bran, a voice was whispering softly. Bran, come back. Come back now, Bran. <laughs> uh, what a fucking intense chapter. I love the back and forth of how George describes the darkness there, the black and cold and black and dead and black. And then of course the he struggled against the pull. He didn't like the darkness. He was wolf. I will not go. I am wolf. I will not go. Oh God, the horror of having to return back to your life.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Holy shit. That really comes through in this chapter and I also love the the imagery and, like, that use of color. It reminds me a little of an even more intense version of She Was Red and Terrible in Red, right? Yes. And very similar devices uh, being used there. Poetic devices of repetition. He's been doing a lot of that. Yeah. A
1: lot of that in this book. And I know, obviously, he's talking about with the House of Whispers where all men are blind, the stone kings down in their crypts, but it kind of reminds me of Arya's plot coming up, right? The House of Whispers, where all men are blind? The House of Black and White, much?
2: Yeah, especially because it goes through all these other senses, right? You can't smell or hear or run. And the House of Black and White does tell Arya, like, yeah, we took your eyes. We're going to take everything else, like, in a bit as part of your course. We'll practice it one at a time, each of those senses, so.
1: You'll serve, they tell her. You'll serve in every way that you can of your body, and that's what Bran will do, too.
2: And then so much of the language of this chapter and this paragraph right you think like when when you hear summer suddenly being in danger and dragged like into the darkness you think it is about summer you're like oh my god something's coming for summer what's happening but no it's actually bran losing himself right that's the, there's this ambiguity he's like no i'm a wolf and it's like wait no no no, this isn't summer talking anymore is it
1: Hmm. yeah you can see that that that's what gives it away that it's him Right there, the, Mm -hmm. no, I am wolf, don't make me go. Absolutely. He feels arms around him and he wakes to Hodor singing Hodor, 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 and Mira asks Bran what he saw. He tells her he saw Winterfell on fire and that they killed everyone.
2: (laughs) So as Bran is struggling to try and get those words out, he thinks, His tongue felt strange and thick in his mouth. One day when I come back, I won't know how to talk anymore. Right, in terms of how much he's losing himself. And I don't actually know. I think this is kind of a little bit of a of a switcheroo, right? I don't know if Bran is the one who's going to return without knowing how to talk anymore, considering that the text just a few lines earlier has Hodor singing only Hodor. It's actually Hodor who Bran's skin changes who ends up being the one who forgets how to speak.
1: Thanks, Eliana, for hurting us today.
2: It's painful. <laughs> oh, of course. I'm in pain.
1: I love Pape. I fucking love to suffer. <laughs> As you uh, In my suffering, what else I love of my suffering, I agree with that. But also, it's interesting because that's just three days, right? That's just he's been gone for three days. Yeah. Damn. And Mira gives him a drink, and they tell him that, right? He always comes back thirsty and hungry, it's said. Of course, since he hasn't had real food, he's just had brain food <laughs> this whole time. He remembers the dying horse on his lips. When he was in Summer's skin. He asks how long he was out, Jojen says three days, they were afraid, and Jojen says it's too long. Mira had dribbled honey and water in his throat, but if he keeps this up, he'll starve himself.
2: There's a lot of this language that really reminds me of that idea of depression, right? Like wanting to be anyone but yourself, being in that darkness, not being able to go anywhere, and and the lack of care that he's able to give himself, right? That he's starving himself in in terms of not having that energy. And You know, depression happens differently for some people. For some people, they rather than starving themselves, they'll eat more. It's it's all different. Everyone deals with it differently. But Brand's got a lot to be sad about, or it's not just sadness, but Brand's got a lot to be depressed about in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, just him ripping himself from summer, saying no, don't make me go back. Holy shit, that's the saddest thing. That right there tells you like he feels useless, with only himself in the darkness waiting. Hiding and waiting, nothing they can do to leave yet, right? They, they—I mean—they've been in these crypts in the pitch black for three days, and they're running out of food. Also, of course, three days—he has awakened after three days and come back to life because Bran is, you know, mm. the old Messiah here, good to keep an eye on, Jesus yeah, himself, just like his mom, yeah, and probably like John.
2: Yeah. So Bran argues that he ate, but John says, "No, the wolf ate. You did not." We have him cautioning, take care, Bran, remember who you are. Ooh, interesting. Remember who you are. What is it? The trees know, do you? Yeah, there. That's what it is. (laughs) And Bran does remember, he's brand the boy. Brand the broken. He's like, better brand the beastling. And deep in the tomb, Bran's eye had finally opened. He's able to reach Summer when he wants, and even had touched Ghost and spoke to John. He thinks maybe or he just dreamed it, but nah. It happened.
1: It was for real. It was in John 7. Absolutely. Yeah, the the line in Daenerys 2 in A Dance of Dragons, remember the undying Daenerys, remember who you are, is great. And, of course, Theon, right? With Reek.
2: Oh, yep, yep. Reek,
1: my name is Reek. It rhymes with bleak. He had to remember that. Serve and obey and remember who you are. And then, of course- And
2: Brandon. Helps remind him. Yeah. To an extent, through the trees, kind of.
1: Obviously Lion King, right? Remember who you are, <laughs> Lion King. Lion <laughs> okay. King. But there's also, uh, I want to say it's in Clone Wars in one of the seasons. Interesting. Yeah. Darth Maul, someone says, Darth Maul, you're lost, my brother. Do you remember who you are, where you came from? Very Star Warsy indeed for Jojen to tell him that.
2: And that makes sense because Darth Maul really looks a lot like the Night King's portrayal in the show. We finally
1: did it. <laughs> Read it. We did it. <laughs> I love that this show is such a passage of time because obviously we don't have a brand chapter for the past handfuls of chapters. So you're kind of wondering where in time, where in place we are with Bran. And that shows you how long it's been, right? Since John was able to speak to him and also... Without, like, that omission of chapters, you actually still see Bran in the plot, which is so neat to actually see him show up. Not unlike later when we start to see him kind of show up. The passage itself from John 7. A weirwood. It seemed to sprout from solid rock, its pale roots twisting up from a myriad of fissures and hairline cracks. The tree was slender, compared to other weirwoods he had seen, no more than a sapling, yet it was growing as he watched, its limbs thickening as they reached for the sky. Weary, he circled the smooth white trunk until he came to the face. Red eyes looked at him. Fierce eyes they were, yet glad to see him. The weirwood had his brother's face. Had his brother always had three eyes? Not always, came the silent shout. Not before the crow. He sniffed at the bark, smelled wolf and tree and boy, but behind that, there were other scents. The rich brown smell of warm earth and the hard gray smell of stone and something else, something terrible. Death, he knew was smelling death. He cringed back, his hair bristling and bared his fangs. Don't be afraid. I like it in the dark. No one can see you, but you can see them. But first, you have to open your eyes. See? Like this. And the tree reached down and touched him. Boop. Actual quote. Boop. (laughs) Boop. And then, because of this and opening his eye, Bran helps John to see the free folk and the mammoths in the distance, thousands of them, right? And that's kind of what shapes John's next choices in his plot and what happens with Corrin to come as well, that, like, this is more important for them to attend to.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coming back to what you were saying of, like, is Bran seeing, and, like, both in the future and the past for some of these, I remember when I first, like, not when I first read this, but... Um, early on, when I kind of forgot that Brand brings it up in this chapter, and so that shows that it does happen at this time period in the book. Mm-hmm. But there's still something about that language that feels like a brand of the future. Mm-hmm. So it could still be like, he's seeing some of those dreams and what he does in the future. I don't know. Um, but also doing it at the same time because of that idea of like, don't be afraid, I like it in the dark, no one can see you, but you can see them. But first you have to open your eyes. Like, this this wisdom, but also Brand has such a different attitude towards the dark in this in that line versus the way that we see him feeling here
1: yeah it's like the in-between is what is horrible right that ripping in between and it's kind of interesting because that's kind of the veil that they get a chance at opening their eye within right living in between life and death and animal and man and that's what helps them to be able to open that eye but here he's totally afraid when he must be forced back into his body in the dark but when he's out of his body the dark is his friend it nourishes him right
2: oh interesting yeah it's his it's his mother this is your ally (laughs) (laughs) but i I think that's uh this is a brand that we probably would would see later on right like when he's below in blood raven's cave it is very dark there and this this seems like something where he understands the wisdom and the help that darkness brings and i guess that long night shed again but anyway
1: yeah it that is like the biggest thing that I'm taking from this, right? Because he's totally it shows you how he's going to flourish. I don't know, that's not the right word. Flourish during the long night. I, I but think it is. it
2: is, considering that he's a tree. He's a flourishing tree. Well, and it's like what
1: Leaf teaches him in brand three. I mean, this chapter directly connects mm. so much in brand three when he finally gets his real Jedi training of Leaf touched his hand, <sighs> the trees will teach you, the trees remember. He raised a hand, and the other singers began to move about the cavern, extinguishing the torches one by one. The darkness thickened and crept towards them. Close your eyes, said the three-eyed crow. Slip your skin, as you do when you join with summer, but this time go into the roots instead. You know, darkness has to be embraced. Embrace it. That's what he tells him. Blood Raven says, never fear the darkness, Bran. The strongest trees are rooted in the dark places of the earth. Darkness will be your cloak. Your shield, your mother's milk, darkness will make you strong. And that's so much of his plot of choosing the darkness or not choosing the darkness so far.
2: He's, He's just like Bane. He was born in the dark. Molded by it. Molded. <laughs> I didn't see it right until I was a man. Molded. Yeah.
0: Um, for you. Yep. Exactly.
2: Anything for you, Eliana. Anything for you. Thank you. Thank you. So Bran doesn't understand, why now? Why is everyone pushing him back into reality? I thought we went through all this effort to push me to not be here. And he says he has to tell Osha what he saw. Is she there? Where is she? And she answers, saying that, I didn't go anywhere. Uh, I'm tired of just fumbling around in the darkness. And he thinks that he can smell her, but he's not really sure, because everyone's really smelly right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that their smells all seem to combine, and that, like, his senses are off, right? He comes back from Summer, and he's like, That's so weird, I could smell everybody, distinctly, individually, and I knew them by scent, by trace, by skin, by everything, even in the darkness while I was out, but now that he's back, he just has brand the boy's senses.
2: It only smells just bad.
1: Yep. Osha, I bet it's like musty too in there, right? Like, think of Crypt, it's gotta be musty as fuck. Three whole days, ugh. Yeah, that's true. Osha jokes she pissed on a king's foot last night or this morning. Who's to say? We don't know. Bran isn't the only one who slept a lot. There's not much else to do but sleep, eat, and whisper.
2: So another moment that likely feels like a scene of the winters, right, that they would experience in Westeros, but also especially the long night with that darkness and having nothing to do but sleep and eat just to survive, right? And also whispering, right? Because you don't want to speak too loudly or else who knows? Maybe the others or the whites will hear you hmm Absolutely. You have to stay quiet.
1: <sighs> yeah, the winters especially, not just the long night, but then thinking that people of the North have had to do this forever. There's been nothing. It's just been quiet and full of snow and dark until it finally goes away. Yeah. While others sleep, Bran tells Osha he saw Winterfell burn, and he smelled it, too. Blood, men, horses, dogs. Osha says if she goes to look for him, she may get caught and stripped of her skin. Hmm. That's a... Ooh.
2: Probably. probably.
1: I mean, if you look at the record, yeah, probably. So Brand says he'll go, if she's afraid, and he hears fingers fumbling at leather and steel on flint. Mira squeezes his hands, a spark flies, and Osha blows softly.
2: A long, pale flame awoke, stretching upward like a girl on her toes. Osha's face floated above it. She touched the flame with the head of a torch. Bran had to squint as the pitch began to burn, filling the world with orange glare the light woke Rickon, who sat up yawning. When the shadows moved, it looked for an instant as if the dead were rising as well. Liana and Brandon, Lord Rickard Stark, their father, Lord Edwyle, his father, Lord Willem and his brother Artos, the Implacable, Lord Donner and Lord Baron and Lord Rodwell, one-eyed Lord Jonol, Lord Barth, And Lord Brandon and Lord Cregan, who had fought the Dragon Knight, on their stone chairs they sat with stone wolves at their feet. This was where they came when the warmth had seeped out of their bodies. This was the dark hall of the dead, where the living feared to tread, and in the mouth of the empty tomb that waited for Lord Eddard Stark. Beneath a stately granite likeness, the six fugitives huddled round their little cache of bread and water and dried meat. I feel like that that, that line, it's kind of obvious again regarding the the dead coming alive but random thought is this like lord donner uh those spelled differently maybe like a donner party reference especially because next they're like mm, when we run out of food we're gonna have to eat hodor
1: yeah that feels like a reference and
2: it's spelled differently but whatever that
1: could still be a reference especially with all the cannibalism to come i love What we get here as far as all of these different characters, and they definitely give me a few thoughts, there's some people that we don't actually know much about, right, that are getting mentioned in this chapter as we keep going down. There is a line, though, that really stuck out to me this time. A long pale flame awoke, stretching upward like a girl on her toes. It sounds just like the visions in A Dance with Dragons, where Bran has the vision of a girl on her toes with Dunk. Then there came a brown-haired oh. girl, slender as a spear, who stood on the tips of her toes to kiss the lips of a young knight as tall as Hodor.
2: Hmm.
1: I just love the imagery, though, too, because then it was like Osha's face floated above it. How creepy! How beautiful! The little bit of light and what it shows.
2: Yeah, that's a great call out. It probably does connect, right? Like
1: it could be anyone.
2: Obviously, like Hodor is probably yeah descended from Dunk, but also I think could be t- Miss Nan. Oh, that's true. It could be Old Nan, mm-hmm. right? she could get it.
1: I don't know. I and... do think that there's gotta be some sort of reveal for old Naon, having, since she's been around for so many gens.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And she, she used to have, like, children. They just, you know, all died. She outlived them all. Maybe
1: Hodor's the end of them.
2: No! Yeah. That's so
1: I know, it's fucking awful. They're running out of food, which is also awful. Osha will need to go up and get more. She mutters and wonders what time it is. Bran tells her it's day, but that the smoke makes it look dark. Never moving his broken body, he reached out all the same. For an instant, he was seeing double, broken Winterfell, but also his fugitive friends. He declares that he's certain. I love this double vision. I love that he's seeing here with the torch and seeing Osha and seeing them surrounding him. But also then he's seeing Winterfell laid in the background, them against it. That's a new move, right? This is a new move that he gets in this chapter. He's not done double vision Mm -hmm. yet. He just learned that TM.
2: He's leveling up, absolutely. Which, uh, yeah, also with
1: TM. A yep. little technical machine action for you. I'm playing a lot of Pokemon Violet mm-hmm. lately, so you need to get it. I
2: still need to find my Switch. You need switch. to find your
1: Switch and you need to get it because I'm really getting sick of your it's shit. not my
2: fault. It feels like your fault. It's not my it fault. It really
1: is starting to feel it's, like it.
2: It's my partner's fault.
1: <laughs> How could your partner do this to me?
2: I don't know. And also, like, I want it because the Hades 2 trailer came out and something also awoke in me again. And I'm like, I want to play Hades again. I want to play video games. It's so good. We
1: need to find it because it's getting out of control. I mean, how are you going to level up and get this TM for the darkness?
2: I don't know how I'm going to (sighs) live. So bodies float in the boat, the gates charred and skewed, and Osha says she'll risk a look. Telling them to get close behind, Rickon says that he wants his horse, apple cakes, butter, <laughs> and honey, and Shaggy. And Bran makes him a promise to be quiet. He says, "Yeah, we're we're gonna go to, sh- we're gonna go there." And like, it's like a half promise. He's like, "Yeah, we're going to Shaggy, but all that other shit, I'm not gonna promise it." So, but he doesn't say that to Rickon. And Mira straps him into his basket on Hodor. He knows what awaits them, but still feels fearful. He turns to look into his father's stony eyes and sees there's a sadness there. As if he doesn't want them to go. And then Bran thinks, we have to go. It's time. And so there's that follow-up on what we were asking of like, so how did this art project of Dad's statue go? And I still need to know. I just need to know who did they find who just like knew Ned well enough that they could recreate his likeness, right? Especially that Bran could like kind of feel that way about the statue. Who made it? We need answers, George.
1: Well, I'm going to answer it for you that somebody who worked at Winterfell, who was a stone carver, probably made it. But
2: I want to know who that was. But like, we know Micken, right? We know Micken's name. We know all these other characters. I think you would have met them
1: if George had known before he had it happen.
2: I think he should have known. Oh my god. Okay. Well,
1: whoever it is, there are other details we can kind of glean here that whoever it is likely would have seen Ned in his final months stressed and sad to his limit um like very sad about liana probably knowing that robert was coming to town etc because the sadness that are in ned's eyes is bran seeing it himself just because of his subjective you know feelings that his father might have been sad or does ned's statue actually look really fucking sad probably he probably has a great deep silence and sadness in those stone eyes
2: i think it's a little bit of both Mm -hmm. right bran is seeing it but also like I mean, Ned was pretty sad.
1: Yeah. Silent, and that solemnness leads to the sadness.
2: He was a surviving member of his family, mm-hmm. right, as so many of them died and, like, left Winterfell, which is very much also kind of Bran's story, too.
1: Yeah. Osha carries a spear in one hand, a torch in the other, a sword hangs on her back, one of the very last and made swords having been made to watch over Eddard's tomb Aww. and keep his ghost at rest. But... Mickin's dead. The Iron Men guard the armory, so grave robbing it is. Mira had claimed Lord Rickard's blade, though too heavy, and Bran had taken Uncle Brandon's. Even if he were no good in a fight, it felt good in his hands. Metaphorically right here, I mean, this is such a big metaphor for like what the Stark children have to do, right? They have to settle Ned's ghosts. They have to take Ned's goals, and they need to complete them. All of them kind of split this in a way, right? Arya splits it. Sansa splits it. Jon has it. Bran has it. In their hearts, they know that they have to put their father to rest in a way. And here, Osha's taken the sword, so now they need to spend the next two books getting his soul back to rest, you know? Ned's soul is out there just sobbing everywhere.
2: Absolutely, and Barbary Dustin's like not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't know. I don't even know if like there's an aspect of that that could be true or not. But it's it's a very interesting scene with her and Theon. But yeah, well, even though Bran feels good having steel in his hands, right? He knows that this is only a game. Their footsteps echo, and the old great kings in the watch, the old great kings in the north, watch them. Torin who knelt. I we, we get through, like, we have so many, like, listicles in this chapter. Torrin who knelt. Edwin the Spring King. Theon the Hungry Wolf. Brandon the Burner. Brandon the Shipwright. Jorah and Jonas. Brandon the Bad. Walton the Moon King. Elder John the Bridegroom. Iron. Benjen the Sweet. And Benjen the Bitter. And we have King Edric Snowbeard. And we have a line of... Their faces were stern and strong, and some of them had done terrible things, but they were Starks, every one, and brand new all of their tales. He had never feared the crypts, they were part of his home and who he was, and he had always known that one day he would lie here too. But now he was not so certain. If I go up, will I ever come back down? Where will I go when I die?
1: Yeah, like into your wolf? That's something that your brothers have to play with, huh?
2: Yeah, I was like, uh... Well, according to Chloe, not into your wolf. Okay, well... Because he'll be dead.
1: Listen, leave me alone. We have a a Jorah Stark in there. There's a lot of new names. I love that Brands like, I knew all their stories, and I'm like, what about me? Can I know all their stories, George? Give me a fucking bone here. But we have a Jorah Stark. That feels a little significant. In fact, all of these Starks kind of seem somewhat significant to the stories to come. So that we have a Jorah Stark, especially with... Jorah's upcoming betrayals, and that Bran says that some of them did bad things, it makes me wonder what Jorah Stark did. Was he also bad? I wonder if he was into slavery. (laughs) Uh, Theon, of course, the hungry wolf, we know a little bit about, and Theon kind of currently is the hungry wolf, at least for less than a fortnight in Winterfell, as his reign has ended. And (sighs) Bran is kind of talking about Some of these unnamed kings for us, or unstoried, I should call it, kings for us. We don't have all these stories, but a couple of them really stood out. Like, Edwin the Spring King. That could be any of the Starks in Winterfell come the dream of spring, right? And Mm. Eddareon the Bridegroom makes me think of Jon, who may be a bridegroom situation coming up for him and Daenerys someday in these books. Uh, Just different roles we might see fulfilled throughout the story, and I look forward to George kind of expanding on some of the histories of these kings. I would love a Winter is Coming stark history book. Just putting it out there, George. Not yet, but someday.
2: Yeah, I don't know if he will he just seems so much more interested in the royal history. Mm -hmm. You know, he's always kind of like, I think, been into that, but agree with all of what you said, and- I kind of wonder if he had the name, like, the, the sort of epithet of, like, the Hungry Wolf thought of before, because he's like, wouldn't this be a fun Easter egg to put into my story? Mm-hmm. And then was like, oh, you know who would go perfectly with that? The name Theon. So, ties in really well with this stuff here, and like you said, those other the other stories going on, and that that really stood out to me, that idea of, you know, some of them had done terrible things... And it really comes back to something that the sh- that the book is showing us, right? That the people from the same family, like, they might be different from one another, right? Your family informs who you become, but it doesn't define you, yet it's so difficult here in Westeros, and it's something that Illyria calls out, like, you're born into a family and everyone thinks that you're, like, this fucking animal, you weirdos, and that you must be a certain way just because you're from that family and people distrust you. And so uh, Mm -hmm. that that really ties in well with the themes of this book, right? We see, like, Tyrion's got a big struggle about that. And then that question of, like, as you were saying, like, where will I go when I die? Like, is it the second life? But also it's this idea of belonging in general with the story, right? If I leave my family home, like, where is my home? Where do I go? Who will take care of my body? Who will love me? Where what will happen to me when I die. And fascinatingly, it's not just like you go into a second life in your, in your animal, right? Like if your animal is gone, what, what happens? And we know that some of the green seers, a lot of them like live on in the trees, Mm -hmm. right? Or they live on in these crows or also even beyond that. Like you go into everything else as we see when Varamyr is in that, that limbo, he's one with everything at that time. Yeah.
1: There's no tree down here that Bran could go into. Like, will, will there be a place for him? Which is something that we see John. With the crypts struggling with. And Theon also has some kind of thoughts about the Winterfell crypts that align with that. As, you know, they walk through here, is there a place for you? Will there be a place for you? These are great men, terrible men that have done great and terrible things. And what about you? What will you do? And it's that idea of legacy crushing you. And here it's crushing him in the dark.
2: It is, especially because he doesn't know... I mean, how can he even think about his legacy? Like, that's a lot for a nine-year-old kid to think about. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. But
1: every day, what did they tell him? You'll be a great lord someday, Bran. A great lord of Winterfell. I was like,
2: I want to be a knight. And
1: here Winterfell is, burnt down, and he was the lord. How would how would that feel? Yeah. That must feel really shitty. Of course he's depressed right now. It's not just being stuck in his body. It's also because it's like Winterfell's legacy is burning in front of him, and he feels like it's his fault when it's not.
2: It's not. It's Rob's fault. Yeah, and Theon's, fault, and 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 Theon's fault. It's a lot of it and Yeah. Yeah. All of those people, it's it their is fault. not Everyone yours. except Bran's fault. But actually literally, literally it is. Well, you <laughs> and, know whose fault it probably is. And the Lannisters. Also the Lannisters. It's their and fault. And we should too.
1: just throw in Sansa. You know that bitch. It's her fault too. <laughs> it's her fault too.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like everything else definitely. in the story. Um
1: They reach a stair that goes down to Further Kings or up to the surface, and Osha hands off the torch, ready to grope her way up the stairs that are very narrow. Bran hates hiding in the dark. He wants to ride his horse, he wants to see the sun, but he's also very afraid of emerging at the same time. He felt safe in the darkness. He thinks when you could not even find your own hand in front of your face, it was easy to believe no enemies could ever find you either. Long night vibes, can't Mm. wait for that.
2: Mm Because they can. Now I'm kind of rethinking what I was saying earlier. I was like, I guess he did feel safe in the darkness, but then he didn't. I don't know. Darkness is weird. But also, what he's saying here of emerging back into the light, it is kind of nerve-wracking, right? Like, to leave something that you've grown used to, even if it's not... Even if what you were doing wasn't truly living, because you were just, like, sleeping, eating, and whispering. But, you know, being cooped up, and then going back outside. I was recently sick, and just lived in a very small portion. And I was like, oh god, the outside... When I went back out there, so... Free! Freedom! It seems a long time until they hear anything again, and Bran worries something happened to Osha. But she returns, looking grim, saying that the door is blocked ahead.
1: Bran suggests that Hodor uses strength, and it's not very effective at first, but he keeps at it, and then he opens it. Open the door, Hodor, Bran said. The huge stable boy put both hands flat on the door, pushed and grunted. Hodor? Don't do it, Hodor. God, obvious foreshadowing is so obvious now. Like, going back, I'm like, ah, yes, I see. I'm like, we will get this, and the wind's a winner, and it will hurt. That is fun. This is fun for me. It's fun. I'm having fun. Thanks, George. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! The light is blinding, and they squirm their way out of the narrow passage. The reeds carry Bran up the last steps to a gray, smoky sky, and they stand in the shadow of the first keep, or what remains of it. Crows pick at a dead body lying face down nearby, and we are reminded of that messianic kind of imagery, right, with the fact that the door was Mm. blocked after three days. I mean, it it very much reminds me of the cave being blocked, and then you move the rock, and then what? Jesus is gone. What do you mean Jesus is gone? Yeah, Very much so.
2: They're like, I don't know, he's not here. They're like, there's the scraps, he undressed. Oh my god, exactly. (laughs) Well, uh, Well, unbombed, I guess. Yeah, unbombed,
1: Yeah. There's this kind of imagery of the gargoyles being splayed apart and broken on the ground, right? And I think that's great because they had played such a big role for Bran. They were once his friends that he used as footholds, right, while climbing. Mm. He looked to them as, you know, kind of comfort as he got up those walls. And now here they are, turned to flame, smoke, and enemy in his dream, right, with the Lannisters where the gargoyles transform into the twins. And here they are strewn on the ground no more, the last enemy on this threshold finally defeated.
2: Yeah, I was trying to see if there was anything significant about that, and I and I couldn't really understand it. But what you said works really well, not just with the gargoyles were his friends, mm-hmm. right? But now that they come back as an enemy, in a way.
1: His fall. Symbolic of his fall being an enemy. His
2: fall in the Lannisters. And if, especially when you think about the 93 letter, though it's probably different, right? It seems that Theon eclipsed Tyrion's role, but it does seem as though Tyrion will be standing against the Starks. He will be something of an enemy when he sees them again. He's got he's got his own agenda and it's revenge. (laughs) But also against his own family. So it's really (laughs) wishy washy. He's just like against everyone. All right.
1: He's truly lost, Theon is.
2: Oh I was thinking Tyrion. Oh Tyrion. He's uh... also
1: kinda truly lost.
2: But that is like
1: it's the same position because he's like, Wow, I really love my fucked up family, but wow, I love Daenerys. What do I do?
2: Yeah. What do I do? And he's also like, but I hate a lot of other people, especially, I guess, kind of myself right now, and I'm gonna make that everyone else's problem. <laughs> On purpose. Which is, which is, yeah, which is a big point that the books are trying to make. Mm-hmm. The floors had burnt out of the keep, and Rickon demands that they take him home. Osha is shocked that no one has come to fetch them yet, as they made a ton of noise, enough to wake a dragon. What does that mean? And... She cuts off her next sentence as two shapes emerge from the tower and rubble. It's shaggy and summer! Jurgen says, well, we should probably go before the death attracts all of the other wolves. And Osha agrees, but first they need to find food and see if there are any survivors. So they enter Winterfell eventually.
1: The great granite walls remained, blackened here and there by fire, but otherwise untouched. Within, all was death and destruction. The doors of the great hall were charred and smoldering, and inside the rafters had given way, and the whole roof had crashed down onto the floor. The green and yellow panes of the glass gardens were in shards, the trees and fruit and flower torn up or left exposed to die. Of the stables made of wooden thatch, nothing remained but ashes, embers, and dead horses. I'm so sorry to read this, Eliana. Bran thought of his dancer and wanted to weep. There was a shallow streaming lake beneath the library tower, and hot water gushed from a crack in its side. The bridge between the bell tower and the rookery had collapsed in the yard below, and Maester Lewin's turret was gone. They saw a dull red glow shining up through the narrow cellar windows beneath the great keep, and a second fire still burning in one of the storehouses. Osha called softly through the blowing smoke as they went, but no one answered.
0: Okay,
2: so... I got a dumb question, and it's because I just, like, don't understand how warfare works. I don't understand how medieval warfare works. Other people know these things, and you can listen to their podcasts about how it works, but, like, I don't understand how the fire could make, like, the literal stone turrets fall. So stone
1: itself doesn't burn, but stone-like substances can burn, right? So, like, ancient Greece and Rome, some of these stone structures that burnt down is kind of a similar... It's a similar feeling, or, like, I think it's a similar situation, and what happens, I think, is that everything else burns and creates enough heat that the stones expand and crack, which means that they can kind of crack and break apart and fall apart, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just I'm not doubting that mm-hmm. like this isn't this is realistic. I just don't understand it.
1: Also cuz like mortar for example might be holding it together, so heat might damage the mortar mm-hmm. and cause it to fail and weaken the joints in between the stones causing them to fall.
2: Right. I was thinking like is that how it works? But I don't know, but that that makes sense.
1: That would be how a lot of the ancient Roman and Greek buildings fell, so it makes sense for here. And it almost sounds more like something exploded, right? Like I know it didn't, but which is possible, yeah, I right? guess so. It, it also, holy shit, they're so fucked for winter. Ramsey fucked them. <laughs> um, the glass gardens, oh, the machines. storehouses, like all of their food is fucked. It's destroyed. That's a huge problem.
2: It is. It is. And yeah, they're they're fucked. Everyone's fucked for the upcoming winter. But also, even beyond that, like the imagery of it, just because we talk about this idea of the Garden of Eden a lot mm. uh, with our coverage of historic materials, it it really feels like you know. These ideas of spring, these ideas of life, right, like crumbling and, and the loss of innocence uh, for Bran.
1: That's a great point, especially then because you have the hot springs gushing out like where it was damaged and it, it's like a life force, right? Like Winterfell is just like Maester Lewin bleeding out right now with those hot springs kind of gushing out of them. It's very, it's sad.
2: Did you say that the hot springs are like Maester Lewin's blood? Did I yeah, like.
1: I did. That Winterfell, the Winterfell and Maester Lewin are both bleeding out right now. Their life force uh, is leaving them. They are, them. though.
2: They are. It's so sad.
1: A dog eats at a corpse, but runs at the wolves. The ravens are chowing down as well, and Bran starts to unfortunately recognize some of the corpses, like Poxy Tom, some of the Iron Men, Theon's Warhorse, Black Lauren, a Bolton Guardsman. The wolves run off, and Mira realizes they're heading to the godswood, so they follow. They see that while there are a few pines that burnt on the way, the deep, damp soil and green wood won out against the flames. Jojen says there's a power in living wood, almost as if he knew what Bran was thinking. A power as strong as fire. Oh, I see. Something that could stand against fire. Realistically, though, Mm. this... I mean, I think this might be how the children survive. The children of the forest, right? They survive because of the deep, damp soil and the green wood. The damp, moisturized green wood holding out against flame.
2: Yeah, against flame and maybe even against frost Mm -hmm. a little after a while, but not as strong. And I do kind of wonder if this is what kept the Valyrians from conquering Westeros during the time of the Freehold. They were like, let's just keep going east. Let's well, not even fuck with Westeros, like, that's, that's too much effort.
1: That's a possibility, actually.
2: They find Maester Lewin on his belly, in the dirt, at the edge of the water and beneath the heart tree. <laughs> he made it all the way to the heart tree in the godswood. Ugh. Sorry. A trail of blood behind his body. Summer stands over him and Bran fears that he's dead, but Mira touches his throat and he moans, so they prop him on his back. His robes, which are usually always gray, they are now dark the blood on them and he smiles when he sees the boys and he goes the gods are good i knew
1: they are not good you are bleeding out the gods are not good you've been murdered
2: he doesn't care about himself he loves them and that he fought to stay alive
1: just in hope and that he got himself to the tree. To the heart tree so that he could go, he could be a part of everything, right? When he dies, he could be a part of Winterfell still. He could be something that keeps it safe as he dies and bleeds out into the tree, to the roots. (sighs) Uh.
2: Even though he said he doesn't believe in magic yet, here he is in one of the most magical places in Winterfell, and like you said, he could go in the tree, and, and here he is bleeding out over it, and the tree's like, "Om nom nom." Well, it's like Liana dying. He's be- like,
1: her- she gave a magical blood protection to Jon right in that moment. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing bigger than that last dying breath, magical protection kind of trope, and they- he's doing that for the boys. He's protecting them in Winterfell in yeah. his final moments.
2: And with the, with the mercy killing, mm-hmm. is that considered a sacrifice? Yeah, that's what I'm
1: thinking. It's a sacrifice to protect yeah. them in Winterfell.
2: Uh, or to the hungry old gods.
1: Yeah, right. The hungry wolves. Lewin elaborates. He says that the clothes had fit the boy, but the legs had been nothing like Bran's. He's astonished. He's like, how did you vanish into the woods? Bran's like, well, we kind of just pretended. We doubled back, sending the wolves to make a trail hiding in the crits.
2: I love this... That Lewin sees through the switcheroo, right? Because he, I mean, he knows about the human body, right? He knows how muscles work and that Bran's muscles just like meant that his, his legs would be very, very spindly. <laughs> and just as Eamon can see, it's it's the same as how Eamon sees that Stannis' sword is not the true thing. It's not really Lightbringer because it gives off no heat. And it's coming back again to the House of Black and White reminds me of how the Faceless Men worn. That people who know how to look, who really, really know how to see, for example, how Sirio Pharrell taught Arya about that story of like how he saw through that cat, mm-hmm. etc. you know, people like Lewin and Eamon, they can see through glamours. Yeah. And they can see through like disguises and, and the magic.
1: I imagine that comes from their training at Maester Academy, right? The old Maester Academy. I think that
2: not all Maesters see it. I wonder it, if just it's, some some of them. But I
1: wonder if it comes with the Valyrian steel link.
2: Mm, it could. It could. It's not only that, but they say said something like you know someone would like can might see through it, which is part of why Jockin, who may or may not actually be named Jockin, the man formerly named known as Jockin, mm-hmm. needs Pate's face because otherwise the Maesters would see through it just the glamour of Pate's face. They need the real the deal. The
1: artist. Formerly known as Shakin Hagar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he is something of an artist if you think about There's it. There's
1: something interesting in what you're saying though that makes me think on a side thought of Varys, John Kahn, and Aegon, and understanding the mm. baby switch and that John Kahn doesn't have this kind of training. John Kahn cannot mm. see through that baby switch, does not know if that's Aegon or not, where Varys, who is a mummer and who dresses up and is in disguise constantly, not unlike Jochen he who is able to kind of skin change in a way, he probably does know that Aegon's not real.
2: <laughs> he probably does. He might even be part of like the whole plot, mm-hmm. right? And for John Con, it's not just that he doesn't have the training. It's the way that glamours work and that were explained by the Faceless Men is people see what they want to mm-hmm. see. And that's kind of what Varys says as well with those trappings of power. People see what they want to see. Yeah, And John Con wants that boy to be Aiken.
1: And Lewin didn't want this boy to be Bran, and lo and behold, it wasn't. Magic.
2: Yeah, you're a genius, Lewin. Genius. <laughs> uh yeah, but Tyrion's like, I don't care. <laughs> I see I see maybe what's going on here, but he doesn't really, because he's just like, I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me. Let's just make chaos.
1: Lewin chuckles a little bit at their cleverness, a froth of blood on his lips. When the Maester tried to move, he gave a sharp gasp of pain. Tears filled Bran's eyes. When a man was hurt, you took him to the maester. But what could you do when your maester was hurt? <laughs> oh god, kill me! It's so sad. Oh, take, me yeah. him, oh. take me instead of him, please! <laughs> take me instead of him!
2: He doesn't deserve to
1: die. I'll die, George. I'm your <laughs> bravest
2: soldier. Take me! Yeah. T- take Chloe! Take Chloe! Wait, wait, what? Us- <laughs> no. wait, what? wait what? Wait, what? 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 <sighs> what?
1: Uh, this is painful. This is like It really is. What do you do, right? It's like, (sighs) when you find out for the first time your parents are human, right? And you realize you're like, oh, you're (laughs) not just mom and dad, super mom and dad, like, you're actually human with real lives, with things wrong with them. What do you do? You can't save him. This is the most helpless brands probably felt today. Just
2: today. It's like a sad version of who watches the Watchmen. Us. Not like that, you know? It's like, who heals the healers? Who's gonna take care of (sighs) Lewitt? This is... We got this. We're so- We could do this. It's just painful. You know, I, we've talked about it for so for such a long time, even, like, before the brand chapters of how wonderful Maester Lewin is, and then how he dies, and we're here.
1: Osha says they need to make a litter to carry him, but Lewin says, there's no use. I'm dying, woman. Rickon gets angry and says, you can't, and Shaggy growls, too, kind of echoing his anger. Scare him into staying alive. I know, right? <laughs> Lewin smiles at this, and he hushes them, and he says, I'm old. I can die as I please. Hodor lets Bran down, and then Hodor goes to his knees next to Lewin, and they're all kind of crouching around him. Lewin instructs Osha to take the boys, but because they're Rob's heirs, she needs to separate them, speaking of switching things up, that they are safer apart. Osha agrees, asking where she should take them, saying, what about the Kerwins? Lewin says, no, Kerwin's dead. Roderick, Tallheart, Hornwood, all of them are dead. He says, there's White Harbor, there's the Umbers, but I don't know. There's war everywhere. I don't know. Osha now has to get creative.
2: Yeah. So, what I like about this is, throughout the books, we saw that Osha and Lewin, they were kind of at odds with each other at <laughs> times, right? They they believed different things, but I think you could also see that they respected each other. And... That comes through especially here and I love I just love seeing them collaborate and like treat each other as equals in this moment as they think about how are we going to keep these kids alive.
1: Because that's what matters to them in the end is saving the children. They could have the differences all day long on magic and what's true or what's not about the children of the forest and all of that. But at the end of the day yeah. they both know that these boys have become such a big part of their lives and that this is the most important part is keeping them safe and osha knows with the long night coming right she's seen it she's been beyond the wall and she knows that keeping them safe could mean something to the north
2: that's true for everyone and that's the one truth for them you know like their love for these kids
1: lewin reaches up with his final life force and he tells them to be strong telling bran that he's a good boy his father's son and telling them to go Jesus fucking Christ. Osha gazes at the weirwood, at the red face in the trunk, puzzled to leave Lewin to die here, and he begs her for a drink of water, and he whispers, and another boon. She tells Mira and Jojen to take the boys. They understand. Hodor follows, and Osha joins them moments later, saying no word of Lewin. Osha gave him mercy. She gave him the gift of mercy, and now he feeds the roots, not unlike Jojin, who will probably feed the roots of the tree as well.
2: Oh no, no, no. Uh, agreed, agreed, and it's what he wanted. That's what he wanted, though, and because like, why else would he just stick around to bleed out slowly, miserably, getting an infection, etc. Sansa
1: is literally just singing of mercy just a couple chapters ago, right?
2: Yeah. So Osha creates an action plan. She'll take Rickon, and then the Reeds and Hodor will go with Bran. Osha plans to take the East Gate, and Mira will take the Hunter Gate. And I thought that was interesting because says the Hunter Gate, just like how earlier in the chapter. Bran, while he's a wolf and wants to stay as a wolf, thinks of himself as hunter and stalker and slayer.
1: Oh yeah. That is a good connection. They stop at the kitchens. They fill their bags with burnt bread that's edible and a cold roast fowl. Mira finds a crock of honey and some apples, and then they make their farewells. Rickon sobs and clings to Hodor. Osha smacks him off with her spear butt. He follows her with Shaggy stalking after them, and then they vanish behind the tower. No! No! so sad
2: (laughs) and then he's sobbing because he has to say bye to everyone and he's just a baby and he doesn't know what's happening you know for
1: all the show did bad or wrong for the bad show that goodbye with Rickon and Bran was always really terribly tragic just when he's like I'm your brother I'm supposed to protect you and it's like no Bran's your brother he's supposed to protect you shut up Rickon
2: I'm so upset right now
1: I hate this fucking series so much I fucking hate it it's bullshit
2: so we end the chapter The iron portcullis that closed the hunter's gate had been warped so badly by heat it could not be raised more than a foot. They had to squeeze beneath its spikes one by one. "'Will we go to your lord father?' Bran asked as he crossed the drawbridge between the walls. "'To Greywater Watch?'
1: Mira looked to her brother for the answer. "'Our road is north,' Jojen announced. At the edge of the wolf's wood, Bran turned in his basket for one last glimpse of the castle that had been his life. Wisps of smoke still rose into the gray sky, but no more than might have risen from Winterfell's chimneys on a cold autumn afternoon. Suit stains marked some of the arrow loops, and here and there a crack or a missing merlin could be seen in the curtain wall, but it seemed little enough from this distance. Beyond, the tops of the keeps and towers still stood as they had for hundreds of years and it was hard to
2: tell that the castle had been sacked and burned at all. The stone is strong, Bran told himself. The roots of the trees go deep, and under the ground the kings of winter sit their thrones. So long as those remained, Winterfell remained. It was not dead, just broken. Like me, he thought. I'm not dead either. Damn. This is the worst. I just need a moment.
1: I love that- It's something that we're seeing in Bran's plot, right? The idea of him flying over everything, seeing everything from a distance, and the idea that no matter what, life does move on, things move on, and Winterfell is strong. It can survive this. It's survived other things. And from afar, he sees it, and he sees what it could be again, and he sees that it will be again. And that's so hopeful. I mean, he's opened his eye now, and this is the end of this book, and the whole book is that. Like me. I'm not dead either. From Winterfell to King's Landing to the wood that's burning across the Blackwater. To Sansa, who just gets a little bit of hope at the end of her chapter, right? With Dantos, with the hairnet. To Jon, who unfortunately just had to kill one of his dads, but he didn't have to kill (laughs) Egret, And he's gonna find a way to maybe save people and maybe eventually get them together. And to Arya, who gets to flee Harrenhal. They're not dead. Just broken. Yeah, but you can always put it all back together and that's what matters.
2: Yeah. Or even if it, it's not put back together, you know, it's a uh, yeah, like those cracks are and what makes uh things different, it's a uh, it's still alive, right? And you move forward, you learn to live and it's really fascinating when you consider it in the context of the enemy of this book, right? Then you consider it with the themes of Brand as a spring king and that dream of spring right and the the heading into summer because that is very much the same idea right it's it's things die in the winter but they they're not really dead they come back and how the whites in general are in a sense a perversion of that but there is a way in which things come back to life and you keep going and you keep living that that is truly wholesome
1: yeah staying still in the dark never moving doing nothing isn't living Right, is the other part of that. So while everything's horrible and burnt right now, like you said, in the spring, things emerge, and then things can live once more. I mean, everyone can come back together to fix and to rebuild. I think that theme of rebuilding, especially for Bran, the builder, is uh, very strong.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, as part of his journey in general, right, we, we really get that first part of the hero's journey those first few steps closing here as he crosses the threshold, right? Because he looks back at Winterfell, and and thinks of it as as his home that he's saying goodbye to, and the only place that he knew. So that's the, he had been getting that call to adventure since like last book. Bran's call to adventure lasts a pretty long while in his story, and then we have his refusal of the call towards the beginning of. Or like the middle here of Clash of Kings and his story there when Jojen's like, you gotta, you gotta open your eyes. And he's like, nah. And then finally he does get that supernatural aid, right? He he learns to actually skin change. And so what's left for him? You gotta take that first step. You gotta cross the threshold and leave your home and go on the adventure. Yeah,
1: And I really like the way, actually, Stephen Adiwell talked about this really well, too, that we also get commentary kind of on Campbell, that it's not just the hero's journey, but also... That it's a little false in some ways, right? Like the limits and costs, Stephen Adabell says, of looking at the world, that we might expect a story structure invented in a pre-modern world. The hero's journey is a fundamentally aristocratic way of seeing the world where those with special Mm. abilities or from special bloodlines are better empirically and born to rule and that we're kind of living in this world between chosen ones and background characters, then very few are getting handed plot armor, and their deaths are required by the gods, e.g. the writer, George, to increase the stakes for our main character, like Lewin, and the odds of being chosen really aren't better than the odds of being a nobleman, right? 90% or more of the population are peasants bound to the soil, Adiwell says. And I think that's a great way to look at it, too, that yes... He is crossing that threshold and going into initiation and going into these rites where he's going to work with Blood Raven and hopefully the atonement with the father comes for him and he gets the ultimate boon before his return, before bringing all of that to everyone. But I think there's just a an interesting way that George does kind of subvert it so it's not exact for that hero's journey and I love that.
2: Absolutely. Well, are you sufficiently sad? I am. And- yeah, I'm
1: fucked up right now. George, why you got to do that to us? We really did brand in the winter, huh? Yeah, we really did. We really did.
2: <laughs> uh, that's it. That's Brandon a Clash of Kings. Yes. If you want to keep up with uh, when we come back, our oh birth in the new year, where we are even worse. We're more like whites, you know, as opposed to like springtime. Anyways, you can follow us on social media at twitter.com slash girls gone canon. That's C-A-N-O-N. Or you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes,
1: we are like the skeletons rising from the ground in Season 4, Episode 10 of the show that these books are based on, Game of Thrones. (laughs) If you want to hear more of the skeletons rising from the ground that we are, you could subscribe to us on your favorite social media platform where we encourage you to leave a like, a follow, a subscribe, or even a five-star review. Whatever you want to do, check it out at Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, you name it, we're on it.
2: We are on it, but here's somewhere that we're definitely on. We are always on Patreon, where you, if you subscribe, get an RSS feed where the episodes get delivered to you, but also, especially if you are in the Stranger Tier and above, you get a bonus episode every single month, and this month is the Ice Dragon.
1: Yes, and of course, as mentioned, we do a monthly brunch slash happy hour. December's has already passed, but I look forward to the new year when our patrons in the Thunder Tier, that's $10 and up, will have access to the Voice channel, where we'll all be hanging out and just chit-chatting more to come on that including an announcement date so check that out at patreon.com slash girls gone canon we would love to have you join up with our motley crew as always i have been one of your hosts chloe and i have
2: been another one of your hosts eliana like me i'm not dead either (sighs) i'm I'm really not i guess but luin sure is (sighs) Ugh, it's so sad. I can't believe we're here. And just think,
1: if this is how sad Lewin's death makes you, wait till Summer dies, Aliana.
2: I'm leaving. Goodbye. Goodbye.